welcome to today's episode of TAPCAST. I'm your host, Chloe Warziniak. In today's episode, I talk to Dr. Branch, who is the Vice Chancellor for the Division of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement. We talk about this new division at Rutgers and some of the projects that it's taking on. We also talk about some advice for TAs on making their classes more inclusive and some reflections on the transition and differences from faculty to administrators. Let's get started. Thank you for being here with me today. I'm really excited. Um, so let's start with what, t- tell me a little bit about your background first. Let, let's yeah. get to know you. Awesome. Yeah. Um, hi world. So, me, who am I? So I'm a sociologist who studies inequality. That's what I do professionally. Um, and so I have a PhD in sociology. I was on the faculty at UMass for 12 years. I have many, many former graduate students who are now faculty um, and a couple others who are finishing up. Uh, so teaching is the thing I miss most about my uh, former life and I look forward to doing it again soon. So TAs and teaching is close to my heart. Um, but I am also a black woman from the Bronx, which you might not know um, from my voice and also, you know, my biography. Uh, I have a bachelor's in biology from Howard University. Uh, and uh, before I went towards sociology, I studied education and to have a stint in disability studies. And so I have a varied intellectual background, kind of all parts of the academic community I have some connection to. That's awesome. Well, that works very well for sort of leading this large enterprise that is, let me check my notes to make sure I get this full state, the full title right, the Division of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement. Is that That's correct? right. So that is a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and I was looking at your website, and there was this about page that had yeah. a lot of things on it. Um, but could you give us a sense of, of what this, this division does? Oh, yes. I will preview it by saying this division and I are new to campus. Okay. You know, it's an amalgamation of some things that were here. Student access, some diversity programs are the umbrella of CHEO programs, McNair, McNair Student Support Services, Upward Bound, that ensure access for low-income, first-generation, historically underrepresented groups to campus and provide an array of supports um, for that. The Collaborative Center for Community Engagement and Service Learning is also under this umbrella, and that is a wonderful unit that provides uh, service learning and embedded projects for students and also some um, add-ons or tags onto existing courses to add a community service learning component. And so that's a wonderful unit, uh, has great connections to community partners. So those are four units that exist in the division that are campus facing and have been here before that now fit in this umbrella. It also includes the Tyler Clemente Center, uh, which focuses on research related to bias, progression, LGBTQ issues. So that is one, and that those are those are kind of pre-existing units. And then we're in the build out of actually what the rest of the division will be, because the charge of the division is to support Rutgers' goal of not just having a diverse community, not just being diverse, Mm -hmm. building a campus, a community, kind of a vibrant campus community that is both diverse and inclusive. And so what does it mean to be a partner to our, to have diverse community on campus and build supportive on-ramps to communities off campus? And so it's a big charge. Yes. Lots of work to do. (laughs) Definitely. And uh, 
how do we build better connections? Because right now we have them. We have wonderful people here and there's lots of great work happening in pockets. But we actually haven't put it together that we can realize the best impact from them. Great. So a lot of these initiatives that you're mentioning, you said have already already existed. Some. Yeah. Okay. Those, okay. those units I'm talking about, those have existed and those really are primarily undergraduate students serving. Okay. So okay. this is my graduate student audience. <laughs> all of those, those four programs I talked about in particular, are all undergraduate facing. I mean, it's good for our TAs to know about these resources yeah. because our students are undergraduates yes. and we need to know where to uh, direct them oh, uh, yeah. for those kinds of resources. So these are still good things for our graduate good. students to know, for good sure. Um, so my next question was going to be, what's sort of the some of the initiatives you're starting and are excited about? I think you already answered that a little bit. but if A you, little bit, you did, but I, I think please. one of the things I'm most excited about is kind of a mapping project. So Rutgers is massive in the ways yes. we just described, yes. right? Um, and that massiveness has an impact for everything, right? And so yes. um, sometimes it can take a multi-website crawl just to find that one piece of information that you needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all know that kind of being here, but it's actually a downside. We're trying to invite people to join us or to show our commitment because right. everything is everywhere. And so you can't really say, look at all the wonderful things that we do to support diversity on our campus, right? And so because I'm talking to a lot of people, I'm learning a lot about all the wonderful things that we do. And I keep saying, where can I find that? Mm-hmm. Where does it exist? Yeah. Where can I, and there isn't one place. So we're starting a mapping project to be that one place, oh, right? Where you can start awesome. to, you can go to one place, go to the diversity oh, website yes. and start to see in full Here's who we are. Here's what we do. And I think that there's a lot of um, frustration, let's acknowledge that, <laughs> yeah. with what the campus has done or what the campus needs to do as mm-hmm. it pertains to diversity. Mm-hmm. And I actually think there's a really encouraging story out there of real commitment that's not about administrators, that's not just about students, but all of the ways in which there's amazing work that's been happening here in a long-term sustained way, that if we did that work to make it visible, it'd be something we'd all be really proud of. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about is a mapping project. And then the other is a plan to get to work on the stuff that we haven't done yet. (laughs) Because just just as we need to kind of map what exists and we can all celebrate, wow, look what we've done. um, We also need to have a plan for the stuff that hasn't existed, the stuff Mm. where we know we need more progress on. And there's a lot of that. That's awesome. I'm really excited about to hear about that mapping project. I started diving in a little bit and digging into some of these resources. And the more I dug, the more I was like, oh, there's this website and there's that website. And oh, this is super cool. And I was like, how do these fit together? And yep. I never would have found them if I hadn't uh-huh. really started digging. So I'm really excited to hear about that. That's super yeah. awesome. Um, so you've already talked about some of the, the largeness of Rutgers being a challenge. Um, what are some of the other challenges that you see, um, either specifically in your department, but maybe Rutgers broadly? So it's large, but let me break down why large matters, right? <laughs> yeah. And so aside from just figuring out you know, where you're going to park when you go to a different <laughs> campus, yes. right? I know everyone can understands the parking pain, oh, yes. right? Um, when you're trying to think about how do I create a resource, how do I build something that meets a campus need? On this campus, you've got to think about, well, which campuses need, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not just, oh, I'm going to build this great program and it's going to happen on College Avenue. Right. Well, that's great, but how does that serve people on Cook Douglas? Or how mm-hmm. does it serve people in Bush? And given parking, does it mean you just hold it on Livingston because people mm-hmm. can park? It, yeah. There's a whole organizational piece 
um, that's just about access to something. Yeah. Um, and so as we're working on um, building tools and deliveries and thinking even about events, one of the things that I'm building in is how do we think about instructional design? How do we think about live web access? Because it's so large that it's not necessarily going to be about finding the one room in that place that people can get to. Right. right. And so how do we think about that? And given the size of the campus, given, relatively speaking, the numbers of students that live on campus, right? So it's mm -hmm. 30,000 plus undergrads, yeah. 18,000 beds, so fully half of our population doesn't live here. Yeah. Right. And so when you think about, well, what are we going to do that's going to educate, serve that all students? Yeah, we, we've got to be thinking about it in ways that aren't just about let's hold a lecture over here. So that, that's one way in which the size of the campus is, yeah. is, is, is shaping how we think about programmatic activity. Very interesting. Yeah, the geography is certainly. Yes. We have a river running through, <laughs> through our, our campus. So, Quite literally. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so thinking about what it means to people to come together, right? Yeah. Where we, we are a, a group of 50,000. Yeah. We are larger than some small towns. And so. Wow, when um, you put it like that, yeah, that's a. And so you think yeah. about what does it mean that there is no one culture, yeah. right? There is Absolutely. no, and so what, is it, what does it mean to kind of draw on that fantastic diversity that is who Rutgers is, mm -hmm. right? That uh, compositionally, it's who we are, and then use it to build a community that's inclusive and move beyond everyone existing in their own space. Because the downside of a campus that's as diverse as ours mm -hmm. is it's large enough for everyone to find their community and stick to it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I see that that being certainly a challenge to bring everyone together and say, no, go out of your bubble. We want to bring you out of your bubble and yeah. all talk together. And then again, if you once you can even incite the interest in, let's bring beyond mm -hmm. our bubble, well, how and where, mm -hmm. right? And this, so then we're yep. back to yeah, so the, <laughs> back so to the a, where. Yeah. So it's an interesting, um, so it's a problem. And then the, the question of um, need, well, yeah. why? Right. Uh -huh. Well, what's the why? Right. And the and so there's always a conversation around diversity and the favorite quote about, you know, diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. Right. That's the way people mm -hmm. talk about the difference between diversity and inclusion. And so what's the work? How can the campus foster a kind of inclusive environment? Right. One where it's not just, oh, I came here, but I feel welcome here. I feel like I'm a part. I feel like I belong. Yeah. And so there's some wonderful work happening around campus to foster that targeted at very different populations, mm -hmm. right? But we don't actually have those spaces where those populations come together, right? So if I'm thinking about faculty and graduate students and undergrads, that we're actually able to have talks around topics. And so some interesting things that we've got brewing that may help with that. Awesome. So one of the things that I think a lot of our uh, TAs that we serve are really excited about right now is learning about how to bring these ideas into their classroom yeah. and creating a classroom space that is uh, inclusive yeah. as Rutgers is, as you mentioned, this really big, diverse yeah. place. We have very diverse classrooms. Oh, yes. And we are not trained necessarily. <laughs> uh, maybe some in, in sociology or education maybe are, but I'm in math, for example, <laughs> and my friend's in English. I, we are not necessarily trained in understanding this, but we want to make our classrooms yeah. more accessible and more more uh, inclusive. So what sort of advice do you have along those lines mm. for our TAs? Are there resources or just general mm. things we can be doing? Mm. That's a great follow-up podcast. I'd love to <laughs> okay. have a, like a longer yeah. planned conversation sure. and we can create some resources to go alongside it uh, for the TA population. But here's my short version. Okay. Um, 
like I said, I taught, uh, I taught for nine years. I've been an administrator for a little while now. Um, and I love teaching. I think yeah. that part of what makes the classroom such an exciting space is um, the possibility and the opportunity for kind of exchange and deep thought. I used to tell mm-hmm. my students, um, my aim here, what my goal is, is to change how you think. I want to teach you how to think, not to regurgitate, <laughs> right, but how to think. And when you can kind of flip that switch for people, um, it's really amazing, right, when they're able to connect those dots. Mm-hmm. What does it have to do with diversity? There are times where, depending on that atmosphere in the classroom, not everybody comes into the room ready, able, or comfortable to fully contribute, mm-hmm. right? And the faculty member, the TA, has everything to do with setting a tone about saying what's okay in that classroom. Mm-hmm. And so we're all there. The interest, the purpose is for learning, and we don't ever no one, no faculty member, no TA wants to do something that gets in the way of learning, but you can do it really quickly if you don't follow a certain set of rules. So yeah. I'll give you three. I'm trying to limit myself to three. Okay. <laughs> one is, number one, um, be respectful. What do I mean by respectful, right? So respect is paying attention to someone's pronoun preference, right? You might not know the pronoun preference, but you don't have to. And if you're not sure, refer to something else, right? And so, person in the white shirt, right? Uh, The last row, second chair in, right? There there are ways that say, I'm going to value, I'm I'm going going to make an attempt um, to kind of recognize something, and particularly if someone's told you, this is my preference, right? You might not remember it every time, it might be a large section, but to say you've made the effort, right? So that respect is from pronoun preference to a student name. We have large classes, there's some large TA sections. It's not possible to remember everyone's name, but the two black students aren't the same, right? And so even if you mess up on it, right? This is, this is just a primary respect thing. It's like, what does that have to do with learning? It might take a student a long time to get over the fact that the professor didn't see, own, and value me. And that's shaping how they interact and engage and think in that classroom. So that's a small thing we can all do, right? Just think about how are we showing respect in the classroom, because that's an initial step um, to creating a classroom that's inclusive. And then related to that is how we show respect to one another, but how we enforce, <coughs> excuse me, a culture of respect in the classroom. So one of the things I would say when I talk to my students is we don't have to agree. I actually value when you disagree with me. But what we have to agree on are the terms under which we disagree, right? Okay. And so it wasn't just that, you know, we'd come in and have a free-for-all and it'd be a shouting match and you're wrong and that that's actually not civil discourse, right? This is an educational institution. We're arguing at the level of ideas, right? And there actually has to be a respectful dialogue around ideas and we should be able to draw on things and we should be able to talk about things that are contentious without it becoming contentious. Um, and so that, that's an important space, particularly in a political climate where our ability to have discussion is going away, right? And so being able to hold classroom space and say, I respect you, you respect me, and I expect us to have respectful conversations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we're not going to just turn this into a black-white issue or an immigrant-non-immigrant issue. We're going to have a discussion about what is freedom, what is the role of race in admissions, there's a whole range of things that can come up depending on the classroom topic mm-hmm. um, that are relevant. And so it's not about shutting that argument, it's not about silencing points of views, but it's saying, let's think carefully about what we say, 
who it's silencing, who it's putting on the spot. Um, and let's have a conversation that we can all take part in, right? Mm -hmm. And hold ourselves to a particular standard is what I'm saying respectful, right? So it's not, and to me, those are ground rules you set on day one, right? So then everyone's like, okay, I get it now. This is, this is kind of what we're expected to do. Rule three, don't ask students to be representatives of their group. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, right? So the trans student is not the representative of the trans point of view. The black student is not the representative of the black point of view. Mm-hmm. So, and, and sometimes it can be well-meaning. So-and-so, can you tell us? So what do you, just don't do it. <laughs> Nothing good comes from that singling experience. So those three tips apply to every classroom every field that's something really simple that we can all do to think about how do we make our classrooms more diverse and inclusive spaces more inclusive spaces they're diverse by default right <laughs> but those are the kinds of things that can take a class from um uh inclusive space a place where i feel welcome my professor my peers are thinking about me they're not tokenizing me I'm here to learn. And if you can clear out that ever stuff, then you've kind of made the space in your class where your students can learn. That's awesome. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about, well, I'm very excited about your answer. I'm trying to remember <laughs> all of this. I'm so excited to, to put that into practice. Um, but I remembered um, a situation I was putting together my syllabus yeah. uh, for a course, and I put in this diversity statement uh, that I got from some other, other places. Um, so it's things like, you know, I, I respect you and, and I want everyone here to learn regardless of, of all of these things. And, um, and sort of here's my commitment to that. I want to learn your pronouns and I, you know, all of these things. Um, and so I, I passed it on to a colleague to, to look at um, just the syllabus overall, double check it. Um, and they were concerned that this was a, uh, a political statement. Mm. They were worried about a student who felt that that was, um, I don't know that marginalizing is the right word, but that's the best way I can come up with in the moment. They, that a student would feel that that was marginalizing to them, hmm. um, particularly a student in the majority. Hmm. Uh, and they were worried about that interaction. And I wonder if you have any thoughts on hmm. uh, that potential of saying, well, I, you know, I respect all students regardless of race and, and having uh, someone take that the wrong way. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So if you were looking for a word, I think the word I would use is off-putting, right? So not marginalized, but off-putting. And so let's step back and ask why a statement, Hmm. right? So one of the reasons for a statement might be that the presumption is that the professor might not be supportive. Hmm. And why might that presumption exist? The faculty as a whole nationally don't reflect the student populations that they serve. Mm-hmm. And as I referenced previously in the answers I gave, there is work that we have to do as faculty, right? As people, professors, TAs in front of a room to um, make our classrooms inclusive spaces, right? And so that work is because students have experienced the classrooms at times as not the most welcoming spaces depending on their background and the visibility of their difference. And I'm saying visibility because diversity includes everything. It includes disability, includes invisible identities, um, and it's shaping interactions, right? And so um, so off-putting, right, yeah. might be the way, because there are some uh, people whose life experiences um, don't require them to think about it, mm. right? They haven't been 
dealt with in a way, if you think about the three examples I've given, they weren't asked to be the representative of their group. It didn't matter if they disclosed their pronouns or not. Uh, they were spoken to, their views matched that of the majority, whatever that is, on a topic, mm -hmm. right? That it was shared by others in the room. And so having your opinion be respected wasn't an issue, right? If that has been your lived experience, and then you see a diversity statement, it could be, well, why do we need that? Because hmm. I didn't, none of those things have happened to me. But I'll give you an example where it might be relevant. I taught a class called Hate Crime in America. I'm a Ooh. sociologist. I was teaching Hate Crime in America during the November 2016 election. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Whew. Challenging times, but so much fun. Yeah. Because I told my students, I play the devil's advocate in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really valuable role because it actually creates the space to say things people are too scared to say and mm -hmm. talk about it, right? And so um, I taught in Massachusetts, right? A very liberal state. And we were talking about hate crimes and we were doing a cyber hate project which required us to review hate websites. Ooh, yeah. interesting. And so as they were doing that, there were a lot of discussions about what's wrong and there were really quick connections made between hate websites and politics and candidates because that's what that's what was happening at mm. that time. And in my classroom, what I would often remind my students is don't don't be intellectually sloppy. Don't just slip and say, well hate is a stand-in for politics. It's not. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. We actually have to be clear on those things okay. because it was important to me that diversity and, and again, my role, right, as the faculty member, is not to slip into what do I think, what's the stand in, but I respect everyone in the room, as yeah. your statement says, yeah. regardless of race. I'm gonna hold room for your position, right, yeah. and not supplant it to mine. So in that classroom, in that statement, in that context, I think we would have really valued that diversity yeah. statement. So I think the pushback is often because we assume that it's only for some people. Mm -hmm. or some phrases, and that's the off-putting part. And I like to remind people, no, it's actually for everyone, right. right? It's actually challenging this idea that only some people need the protections or the acknowledgement that we might share diverse views. And I think that's what the pushback is about. Often the pushback about diversity is, well, really, diversity is really code for black and brown. And that's what you really mean when you say diversity. And I'm like, well, if I wanted to say black and brown, I would have said black and brown. Right. What I said was diversity, <laughs> right? Because when I say that, I'm talking about Indian, I'm talking about deaf people, I'm talking about blind, I'm talking about the whole thing. And right. if I'm going to be attentive to diversity in the classroom experiences, that means I'm not going to send out PDFs and not think, can a screen reader read it? Because some of my yeah. students might need accessibility tools. Right? And so, yes, I actually mean the letter of diversity. I mean we're going to be attentive to all. And I think if you're able to help people grapple with that, then there's a lot less push out to the need. Wow, I love that. Um, that's very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so, so just a little bit into, I'm curious, I guess it's kind of going back to your background, but um, I'm really intrigued by the transition from um, sort of faculty and academic into administration. Mm -hmm. um, you already mentioned that teaching is near and dear to your heart and that, that you're missing that. Um, but what are some of the other sort of aspects of that? I mean, I, I guess I don't really get to interact with um, administrators on a daily basis, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I interact with faculty yeah, 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 yeah. constantly. So I guess I don't really understand the difference, and I'm really curious about that, that transition. Uh, one, a dear friend of mine uh, who moved into administration too and said the biggest difference between 
being a faculty member, being an administrator is June, July, and August. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and so faculty are nine-month appointments for the mm. most part. Some are nine months, or 12 months, depending if you're clinical faculty and have other responsibilities. But typical faculty um, who teach, and I, and I say typical in the kind of liberal arts sense, mm. um, I have a nine-month schedule, follow an academic calendar, breaks from, you know, uh, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. It's, you know, there's <laughs> the sense of, you know, kept hours and so on uh, just aren't the norm of faculty life. Right. And so so that the biggest, the number one uh, change between faculty administration is the schedule, right? That mm-hmm. I keep business hours. Rutgers business hours at 8.30 to 5, right? Mm-hmm. It's very different than what my faculty hours right. were, right? Um, when I thought about my time, and it's not that I worked less hours as a faculty at all, I just had more control over where those hours were. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, um, so that's one thing. Um, and then uh, time, June, July, and August. I'm here in June, July, and August, where it's in faculty where I, I was glad to drive off campus. And I might <laughs> pop up and do some work with my office, but for the most part, I love my kitchen table in the summer. Yeah. Um, and so that, that was a big, um, that's a big shift. But the appeal and, and the reason that I moved into administration is that I think um, it was a chance to, wrestle with some of the problems that I saw as a faculty member um, to uh, help the institution make good on its ideals. That's how I describe Mm. it, right? That it's not just um, we talk a good game about diversity. We don't always act well on it. And Mm -hmm. so um, that's what I aim to do. That was the appeal. That's awesome. Well, those are all my questions. Um, I guess maybe one last thing is what... uh, if you could give one piece of advice to a graduate student or oh. a TA or any context of, of, it doesn't necessarily have to be about teaching, but it could. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what piece of advice would you give? Mm. Man. You can pick more than one if you Man, want. Yeah, but... I, might, I might need to squeeze <laughs> more than know. one in. Wow. Because I've, I've got a lot. Um, so I look young. I think I will look young forever. Okay. Um, one of the things that happens when you look young and you're the person in front of the classroom mm-hmm. is people really question, should you be the one in front of the classroom? Mm-hmm. And so to the TAs out there who are living that experience, own your knowledge, mm-hmm. right? No matter, no matter the discomfort, what can I do this? this? Is it my first day or my first class or your third class? Own your knowledge. No matter how much you don't know, you know more than them. For mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. right? And so own your knowledge. Don't be afraid to make mistakes when you mess up or you're not sure. Say, I'll double check that I'll get back to you tomorrow. But so much time and energy is lost in over-preparation because mm-hmm. of anxiety around how you will present and how you'll be challenged and things like that. That doesn't necessarily go away, but you can decide to own your knowledge and not try to over-prepare to compensate. Just decide, yeah, you can question me. Here's what I know. And so I used to come in the class and I'd dress up on day one in particular and I'd walk through, here's what I've done, right? And so here, so yeah, I do know my stuff and let's get into it. And, and, they, so, and that was wonderful. So that, that's advice one. Own your knowledge. You'll enjoy the classroom so much more. Um, and then the second piece is about graduate school in particular. There can always be this tension between doing your work, the work that moves you forward professionally, and being responsible to your students. Mm-hmm. And it's easier at times to be responsible to your students than to do the work that you need to move forward professionally because that works scarier. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) definitely. so much scarier. Mm -hmm. And so you need some kind of personal accountability when you're teaching to say, okay, I've got to do the scary work. 
not just the urgent work, not the work that I have accountability for, because I've got to show up in class and the students will know if I didn't prepare, which is how grad students end up over-preparing, right? And not making progress. And so just acknowledge, yeah, that's the scarier work. Hmm. I need some support for the scary work, (laughs) the same way I have built in support for the rewarding work, Right. right? And so do that for yourself. You will make more progress every semester. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I You're really welcome. appreciate that. Actually, that's one of the questions we ask all of our graduate students on the podcast is how do you balance those two things? So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And Great thank you. for you. Uh, Yeah, thank you for being here. This was, this was really wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. My thanks again to today's guest, Dr. Branch. You can see more information about everything they're doing in the division at diversity.ruckers.edu. You can also find more information about the TA project at tap.ruckers.edu. To stay up to date on all the latest TA project news, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TA project, or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash TA underscore project. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening.